0: Yes, yeah, all Dean's fault. He said, "I got a class I want you to take," and I was I was bent on staying here and working here. And fifteen of us, he said, only fifteen of you can take the class at a time. And I thought, well, I'm in. I love a good challenge, and I didn't even finish the class seven weeks in. And I thought, I'm in the wrong line of work. I can get into people's homes a lot faster and sooner with a Bible than I can with a badge and a gun, and we really fixed the problem, which is sin. I'm thankful all of you are here tonight. This is a coming home of sorts. I came here, worshiped here while I was at Faulkner, and then when I came here to, to police. I'll tell you, uh, this idea of following God is um, its a very good idea, very good thought. Uh, there's a lot of people in the world who, who do that. Uh, and probably, probably most folks do it on a scale to say uh, they follow Him passionately as best as they know how. Uh, there are folks who, like social media, uh, will follow something just to get the updates, just to check in with the Lord, just to see what He has in mind. Some folks go to the Bible like it's a reference book, and what does it have to say to me, and how how can I best apply it to myself, and uh, how can the Lord get me out of this pickle that I'm in? But I trust that's none of you tonight. Following God... Has been the greatest blessing of my life, and I know for some of you in this room, some of you may be older, some of you may be long in the faith, and you can say the exact same thing. When all the earth gives way, the Lord never will. David said, "I'm I'm I'm old, and I was a, I was young at one point, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or begging bread." Spiritually speaking, we we never have a want with the Lord, right? Amen. Amen. Y'all do that here. Y'all love the Lord? I love the Lord. I know you've probably seen a deathbed situation. Maybe you have held the hand of one leaving this world and on to eternity. Maybe you have been in the room or maybe you've seen it on, on on a movie per se or where there's the patriarch laying in the bed. And the whole family is gathered around, and he's about to leave this world, and it's a very surreal moment, sad moment, somber moment. For the Christian, it's what the Lord calls precious. Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saint. And I want you just to just imagine a scene that he, he pulls the family near and close, and he doesn't have a lot of breath. But what he's about to say is supposed to be maybe the most meaningful part of his life. It's the end of his days. He wants to say or he wants to convey something with the truth that that he he wants to die. And he wants you to know or she wants you to know what it is that's on their heart. And you know if you are that family member who's standing around, you're listening intently. All of the world has stopped and you are listening with all that you have. What's this life been about? What's this mean? And what they say you take to heart. Because you know you'll never physically see them again. Tonight I want to start in Acts chapter twenty. Paul is is having a conversation with some elders, and particularly the elders at Ephesus. This is the church he labored with for about three years. He loved the brethren there and so much so you know how brethren are. You know, when you have a fellowship meal or you, you have a get together, brethren will just shake your hand off almost. That's the way it's supposed to be. And in Acts chapter twenty he says specifically he knows that he's trying to get to Jerusalem and he's going to be delayed if he does not get on and get on to the get on to Jerusalem. If he stops and sees the whole church, they'll just consume him. And in Acts chapter 20, he calls for these elders about 20 miles south of Miletus. And they meet him there, and he loves these men. And they love him. And what he's about to say to them is somewhat of a, you'll never see me again statement. Specifically, he tells them, you'll never see my face again. And in Acts chapter 20, let's look at verse, well, if you get there, preacher. Verse 25, he says, and now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. And it says in verse 36, and we had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him. Such a relationship with the preacher and his elders. Preachers need to strive, elders need to strive, ministers need to strive, me- members alike need to strive with the idea that this is the type of relationship that means the most in the world. Verse 37, and they began to weep, embraced kissed, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken that they would not see his face again. They were accompanying him to the ship. Such a sad and such a surreal moment where he says, I know that you never will. The Holy Spirit gave him that information. You'll never see these folks again. And what he what he tells them is, is some good things, some end things, if you will, some farewell things, but he also gets a little nitty-gritty. He also gets a little... Um, he points some fingers. He calls some things out. But what I want to do is begin in verse 22. This, this is the hub, really, of where we're going to stay, 22 through 25. And in the middle of that, in verse 24... Paul says this to these elders, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul said, I'm alive for one reason and one reason alone. And when when this reason is up, then I'm up. But until I'm up, this is the reason that I'm alive, which is to make known the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was fixated on following God no matter what. At the end of his days, you know as well as I do, if there's anybody who followed the Lord wholeheartedly to history, says to the chopping blocks of Rome and lost his head, it was Paul. And what I find Paul doing is Paul doing, a, he does a whole lot of enduring and not a whole lot of complaining. He loves his Lord wholeheartedly. What I want to do is I want to take from this here just five things from these passages, from these verses to give you what an idea. What does it really look like to follow Him? This is the end of Paul's farewell, if you will. And if, and if it's ever going to mean anything, if any of his words have ever meant anything, now is the time. What is he trying to convey to these men? This is what it's all about. Verse 22, he says, And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. Your version may say precious, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. What does it look like? What does it look like really to follow the Lord from the mouth of Paul? Number one, from verse 22, he says, And now behold, bound by the Spirit. Literally the word bound as as if I'm in chains. And Paul's not saying this is something that is involuntary on his part. This is wholeheartedly with his volition. He loves the Lord and it's as though he's constrained or compelled. He used these words elsewhere. Uh, In Philippians chapter 3, you know, he says that everything is, everything is, is just rubble or trash or dung. Nothing matters except the one thing, which is to know Jesus. To know Him fully, wholeheartedly, and to love Him because of what you know and to be known of God. Number one, what does it look like to truly follow God? It's being mastered by power. Not of your own. You've seen the tag, God is my co-pilot. Realistically, He needs to be the pilot. Being mastered by power, not of your own. Of course, we're not talking about some sort of convulsion that our religious friends make it out to be. But this idea that, that I am so compelled by the love of Christ that I can't help but do this. And if we were to take a poll tonight, and I trust there would be some... Where would you stand? Would you have? Would you? Would you share the same sentiments in verse twenty four? My life's got one reason, and one reason only. Here's a man who will never see these folks again, and he says this is the purpose of life, which is to make much of the gospel of Jesus. Can I say that? And can you say that? When we think about really following God, what did Paul? What does it mean to follow God, Jake? It's being mastered by a power not of your own. The Holy Spirit, literally. He says, as if I'm bound in chains. He's he's got me going wherever wherever He wills. Do you humbly submit to the the authority and the rule and the reign and the kingship of Jesus? And I know we, we strive for it. And I don't dare want to deify Paul in any kind of way as though he had a step above or he was on some kind of a pedestal or something like that. He was a man just like you and I. What does it look like? In First Corinthians chapter twelve, Paul's talking about the church and the abusing the abusing of the spiritual gifts. And in verse three, he says nobody can say Jesus is accursed. If they say that, they're not saying it by the power of God or the Holy Spirit. Only those who say Jesus is Lord or the idea that, that we confess Him as Lord. Nobody can do that except by the power of the Holy Spirit. Even today, even though the miraculous age has, has uh, for you and I to, to, to have a little indwelling of the Holy Spirit and operate miraculous things, even though that ship has sailed, the principle still applies. Only by the power of God are you and I able to say, and by the Holy Spirit's record, that Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is the Son of God. It's only by this book. Do you live by this book? Do I live by this book? If I want to truly follow God, it looks like, number one, somebody who lives and and drives and has their being and move by power, not of their own. We willfully choose to submit wholeheartedly to Jesus, to His Word. This is where we're going. This is where we're headed. But see, that's often scary. probably everybody in this room has been affected or will be affected or you will lose family, spouse, children. If you continue to follow Jesus, you will lose. And you will lose people in this world. Are you okay with that? Do you think Paul was? Psalm 63 and verse 3. The psalmist said, Your steadfast love, O Lord, is better than life. Your steadfast love, O Lord, your continuing faithfulness to me through your love, which you and I obtained through, the, through, through Jesus and, and, and by faith, baptism. We now have this access of love that the world does not have. We have this covenant relationship, this intimate relationship with God and Jesus. Can we say what the psalmist said? That God's love alone and that is all is better than my physical life? That's a game changer. Verses like 24 causes people to do radical things when they hear the words of Paul where he says, my life has got one reason to be, to be going and it's, and it's to make much of the gospel. Do I live like that? Do I really follow God the way that Paul followed God? And this isn't just Paul, this is exactly what the Holy Spirit had inspired to write. If you follow Him, it's because you love Him. And this isn't mindless obedience. The Lord has never been okay with mindless obedience and we better go just because we better go. No, if that's the mindset, just stay at home and turn the lights out, Mama. We're going to bed. He wants your heart. All of it. Number two. Not only just being mastered by a power not of your own, but number two. Being content with the unknown. He says, I'm on my way to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. Following Jesus will cost you. Following God will cost you this physical life. Because nobody survives a crucifixion. And when you and I were baptized into Jesus, we were baptized into His death. I know that you know that, but sometimes we want to get ourselves off of that cross and forget that we crucified ourselves. And that crucifixion is an ongoing thing. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, it's a living sacrifice as you live. See, the, see the Jews knew very well what a dead sacrifice was. They'd take that animal, they'd lay it up on that block and that, and that priest would slit that goat's throat and it would die. And they would offer this dead animal So when Paul says a living sacrifice, this is a living organism. This is not something that is dead and just been chopped up and offered some kind of way. This is a real deal. Number two, it's not knowing where we're going. To truly follow God, you've got to be okay with not knowing where that's going to take you. I know there's plenty in this room who have suffered for Jesus' sake. Not for their own selves, not for their own sin, not because of their own mistakes, but because simply they chose to follow God no matter what. And they're going to go down with this spiritual ship. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed. When he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance, and when he went out not knowing where he was going and not just him but mama went too let's not forget about sarah she packed the mules up too not knowing where they were going are you okay following god not knowing where it's going to take you Maybe it's a conversation at work. Let's get applicable here. Maybe it's a conversation at work or a situation in your home where you know very good and well, if you continue to follow the Holy Spirit's direction from this word, that if I continue, if I open my mouth, if I take another step forward, it's going to cost me. It's going to cost me. Are you okay with that? I like to plan. I like to know things. I like to have things set up. I like to be a good steward. Not stingy. A steward. You know, some of our brethren are stingy. They call it stewardship. Anyway, that's another lesson for another night. I want to be a good steward. I want to be faithful with my stewardship. What the Lord's give me, time, money, possessions, people, Whatever. And I like to have things planned and organized and, and, and dates. And, and not all the time. Sometimes I just like to, well, let's just go and see what happens. Sometimes. You'll never know. Following Jehovah God, you'll never know where that's going. Bad or good. Some of you in this room have followed God and absolutely it was the best decision you've ever made and you've known it every step of the way it was the best decision. Some of you were like Ruth. You didn't know the Lord beforehand, but you came to the Lord later in life and you realized what the world was like without God and you would never go back. Because I know what God is and I know what He does and I know what He's got and I want it. And I'll die before I give it up. Master by power not of your own. Not knowing what tomorrow will bring. Number three. Here's what he does know. Poor feller. (laughs) Bonds and afflictions await me. (laughs) Bless his heart. I don't know where I'm going, but the Holy Spirit said every place that I go, it's going to be bad news for this old boy. But for the glory of God... Are you okay with following God through the fire of affliction and suffering and the the, the physical deterioration of your life? Are you okay with that? And this is something that you really have to ask yourself, and not just a one-time deal, but you've got to ask yourself this every day, sometimes several times a day. Some of you may be suffering now, and you're in a season now that it's the worst that it's ever been. And you want relief, and you want it now, and you know good as well you could go find it, you could find an immediate fix. No, it's not lasting, but we could continue to find that fix and find that fix. And whenever we get really, really bad or bad off, when we suffer for the Lord's sake, all we've got to do is just fix it. Just a little bit of ease. And we quit following Him. As much as He's done, As much as he loves, as much as he extends, as much as grace and salvation, and we forget what we do is is in those moments and those fires of affliction, those those as as Paul said, uh, bonds and afflictions. If I'm just an if I'm just a nigger, no fella, I know that that's not good stuff. But especially, especially for the Lord's sake. Am I okay with that? You may be looking at the verse like this in verse 23 and you may have never really considered to count the cost. And this is something that we got to do and we got to do it now before the bad stuff happens. You know that. Daniel, before he got even over in there in a land that wasn't his with a new name with a whole new agenda and a whole new service, he purposed in his heart beforehand I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to do that. We have to effectively, knowing good and well, because here's the reality. Acts 14 and verse 22, Paul said, Through many tribulations we must enter into the kingdom of God. Much, many, a lot. One is bad enough. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, Indeed, all who desire. To live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. You think, well, Jake, I'm pretty comfortable here tonight. I'm okay. And then when I go to work, everything's fine. Well, maybe you're not really living a godly life in a public lifestyle. Because rest assured, when you leave those doors, and maybe there's a few in here, I don't know. But especially when you leave those doors, that world don't like what you're doing in here. And we're not persecuted really in in the fullest extent here in America. We're pressured, you know. They don't let us park in this spot. They don't invite us to lunch. They don't go, you know. Everybody's going on the cruise, but but this coworker don't get invited because they're the goody two shoes. That all that's pressure. That's just junk. You know what I mean? But to truly follow Jesus, and especially verse twenty four, where I where the only thing that the only thing that my life is about is making much of the gospel of Jesus. You've seen those religious nuts. That's all they talk about. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And when you walk in, and there they are by the water cooler, you just immediately hang a left and go go to the janitor's closet rather than go over by the water cooler. You bend, you laugh because it's true. Matthew 10, 25, if they call the master of the house Beelzebub how much more will they malign those of his own household? We signed up for this. And this isn't to be doom and gloom, but this is to help you see that you are different in this world, and this world does not like you. If they slung that old boy up on a cross, they'll do the same thing to you. Following God, the closer, I don't know why this is, but it's almost as though the closer you get to the Lord, the harder and harder and harder it gets in this physical world. And for those of you who've lived on, long in the kingdom, you know that. That if you continue to make strides and make strides and, and never, and, and by God's good grace and help, you never waver. You stumble, you trip, but God is true and God is faithful and we press on. It physically hurts. Paul says, it don't matter. Bonds and afflictions, you think it stung. You think it bent him over. You think he had whelps, arthritis. Yeah. Yeah. And I love love the two Corinthian passages where he goes through and he talks about the things that he suffered. and, And all that he went through. but he says it don't matter because my life has one purpose. Verse 24. This is what my life's all about. That's that's another level. That's another level. They say, whoever they are, you know, they, they say that the average spiritual age of the Christian Maybe it's Pew Research or something. But they, they say that the average age of the, of the Christian is around a spiritual teenager. Y'all were out of that, roughly, maybe. Okay, just, just ignore this. Not talking about y'all, but talking about y'all. Well, I can say bless your heart first. Okay, bless their hearts, teenagers. How do they do it? They come to the table. They eat. They don't contribute to the family. What they do contribute is a smart mouth, right? Then you hear daddy go flop, 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 flop with the belt, right? Maybe, maybe not. It's a hickory. My papa made us cut our switches. Had to go out and use his case knife to cut our own hickories. I learned once, once. My cousins, they took forever to learn. They thought, side note, just, for, just in case you get whipped by a hickory tomorrow and you got to cut your own switch, don't don't get the little ones. Okay, them bad boys cut through the air and will strap your legs harder than any thick one you can find. That's gospel, okay? Get your big one. Get your big one. But is that said of me? Even though I preach for God's church in in Piedmont Road in, in Marietta, Georgia, even though that's me and that's what I do by vocation, do I still come to the table ungrateful? Do I still come to the table with my hand out? Do I still come to the table as a spiritual teenager who contributes nothing to the family? And if something don't go right, I bolt? Verse 24 is the next level. This is what faithfulness looks like to Paul. Bonds and afflictions, absolutely. But you know, the worst that this world has to offer and the pain that you and I can go through from time to time, it ain't the worst. And it ain't forever. It really is not that bad compared to the alternative. I don't know what's going to be worse. All those saints who stand there and Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. He's talking to hes talking to people of faith in that context. He's not talking about a heathen. But people who think that they're doing God's will but they're crooked as a dog's hind leg and they're not faithful. I don't know what's going to be worse. Feeling that shame hearing that decree, that forever decree, and that sense of disappointment and shame, and I don't know if that's going to be worse or the, or, or the, the hell of fire. I don't know what's going to be worse. But verse 24 has got to be the heartbeat of Jake Sutton. Has to be. Has to be. Ladies. Proverbs 31, verse 25, strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. Women are more more planners than men are. Just the truth. Whoever they are, that's what they say. They say that they that women plan more than men. I can probably see that. Bridal showers, tea parties, and all this stuff. Baby showers. The woman of God, Proverbs 30, 20, 31, 25. She laughs at the time to come. That's the idea that there's a certain amount of unknown and uncertainty ahead. And she laughs. She laughs at that because she knows who her God is. And especially a woman, especially Peter talked about later about Sarah and Abraham and, and, and how she was... she. She revered her husband. She 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 loved her husband. She was uh, submissive to her husband. And that idea, and especially as a woman who, who stands beside her husband, and especially one where God calls them out of kin and country and, and go to a land that you don't even know where you're going, especially for a woman who, who wants security, especially for a woman who wants to know what tomorrow is going to bring or, or what the budget looks like, or we're going to have the money to pay the power bill next week, or whatever, especially for somebody who plans more, Strength and dignity are her clothing. She's strong and she's dignified because she knows who her God is. And even though she has to trust her husband or the church or the eldership or whoever, it's going to be all right because, see, the Lord goes out front of the faithful. This verse 24 that we keep coming back to is kind of the heartbeat of this text that we've got one reason to be alive. When it comes to following God, this is what it looks like. This is what faithfulness is to Paul here. But this is what we were made for. This is exactly... Flip over to Ephesians chapter 1. In verse 5 Holy Spirit through Paul says he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise, to the praise, to the praise of the glory of his grace. why? this adoption this through Jesus this kind intention, this will why did he do what he did to the praise of of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, that is Jesus. You were created for the praise of the glory of his grace. You are to magnify that grace. You are to magnify that glory with every being that with every part of your being. And it doesn't matter where you are in the kingdom and what you do in the kingdom. Uh, maybe you've seen the old analogy, maybe it was a poster that I think it was Kennedy walking through the space center, and there was a janitor pushing the broom. And he said, "What are you doing there, sir?" He said, "Help him put." He said, "Help him put a man on the moon." There is no hierarchy in the kingdom of God. There is none. The greatest, I think, Jesus said, is a servant, one who literally stands at the table. In Matthew chapter nineteen, where he says that the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve diakonos is that word there that Jesus as though he is a waiter who stands at the table and serves the saints with what they have of need and this isn't some sort of uh, uh, where where we just beckon call Jesus to make him do what we want us to do no he brings to the table something that we need got any deacons in the room you are a reflection of the servanthood of Jesus don't ever, and I and I know we talk about deacons, I know the elders crack jokes, preachers crack jokes about deacons, they're late, deacons count, you know, all this sort of stuff just out of fun, just just for just for a hoot and a holler. But a deacon, a deacon is the greatest in the room because they're servants. How would Jesus serve? In the role that I'm in, and how am I reflecting Jesus in this role, a servant? Thank God for good deacons. And number five. Going back to Acts chapter twenty. Go back to verse 22. He says, And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I. Here's a man in his 60s. In his sunset years. And he's talking about going to Rome and then on to Spain. Paul, don't you know what the Gentiles are going to do to you? Don't you know what Rome's going to do to you when you get there? Don't you know how bad it's going to be? And Agabus, a chapter later, he, he literally acts out the part, they're going to lock you up if you go over there. And he says, I, I'm going. Oof. What do you do with somebody like Paul? You lock him up, he converts the whole jail. You chain a guard to him, he'll convert the guard. You beat him, he's glad, but that he gets to suffer like Jesus suffered. You kill him, that's what he'd want. He gets to be with the Lord now. What do you do with somebody who is infectious like that? Who truly, wholeheartedly follows God? I tell you what you do with that person, you watch them. And you watch them turn their world upside down. And that's exactly what God's calling all of us to. None of us get a pass on this on this discipleship. None of us get a pass when it comes to the faithfulness of following God. This is what He wants. There is nothing more precious. The only reason that I'm alive, verse 24, is to preach the gospel, to make much out of it, to glorify God. He says, I'm going. Paul, listen, fellow, you're in your 60s. Let's just pretend that it's America, okay? Paul, listen, you're in your 60s, right? This thing called the American Dream. We've been about. You get out of high school, you gotta get into college, you gotta get a good job, you gotta get a 401k, a good one. Go ahead and do the Roth so it's taxed beforehand. That way you got you got a whole lot, you know what you got coming out, you know. Uh Uh-uh, not time. Anyway. Anyway, sorry. You know what you got coming out? You got this this and this and this, and this is squared away, and this is squared away. Paul, what you can do is you can go buy you a cottage on the Aegean Sea. And I tell you what, you could just put around in your garage while you're there. I mean, you're in your 60s. You've worked harder than any three disciples. Give Timothy a chance. You know, he's half your age. Let that old boy get in there and get his nose dirty and scuff his knees up. Let him do it. You've done it forever. He says, I'm going. I got a little boy, he's five. I want him to be better than daddy. And Jake better not teach Stone that this life is about getting a good retirement and coasting. Some of you in this room who were able to retire at 55, 57, 60, 62, 65, that's good. Now you've got more time on your hands to work for God than you've ever had. Take advantage of the time that you now have. This whole rat race of chasing the dollar, chasing the American dream, this is what's happiness. We've got to keep up with the Joneses, Is the Hebrew word is hogwash. Old preacher joke, you're welcome. my son better see. If I want to be a faithful daddy to my boy, he better see. Son, this life, it's a good life. But it's not what God has in mind for us. And this life ain't all that there is. And you've seen people that they work and work and work and work as though this life is the only one that matters and this is the only thing that ever makes sense. You know how it is, you get the new vehicle, and next year you've got an old, outdated one, you've got to get the new one. What are we on, iPhone 36 now? I remember when it was a little small thing like this. When I was policing, I used to put it right here in my pocket. I can't tell you how many I busted, and cracked, tackling idiots. That was fun. But I want all of us in here, because it looks like everybody in this room for the most part is older in age. And if you're old in this kingdom, please don't stop. God specifically, the Holy Spirit commands Paul, writing to Timothy, writing to Titus, two young fellows of the faith. He tells them, boys, have them older men, teach them younger men. And have them older women Teach them younger women how to love their husbands and their children. You know why you have to teach that? Because this world says love yourself. This world says be happy. And if you're not happy, go get happy. I need to be happy with the holy, because that's what God calls us to. And I've heard it out of, out of folks' ears. You know, oh, I'm old, and they, you know, and I don't. I taught class for 36 years and they threw away the key and they locked me in there with them savages for years and them sorry reprobates and I can't stand their mamas and all of them are snot heads and you heard it, you know. And they quit teaching and they go out to pasture and then hit the pew with a wealth of knowledge, with wisdom. I got three white hairs in my head. I got a name for each of them. I'm not going to tell you what brethren they are, but I know who they are. But your your white hair is a crown of glory and wisdom. And you have so much to offer people like me who ain't been there yet, who don't know how to walk through it. I want you to put your eyes on one verse. What time do we go? we got about two minutes? Proverbs chapter four. Paul, just get you a cottage. Watch that sun go down every day. Let Timothy get to work. Proverbs chapter 4, in verse 18, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day meaning that there is no sunset years. You live longer in the kingdom and longer in the kingdom and you get brighter and brighter and brighter. You're more evangelistic. You're more of a servant. You're more humble. You're more loving. You're more kind. The path of the righteous shines brighter and brighter until full day, which means until you cease life. That's what God has in mind for the older ones. They get better with age. And they are a blessing to the church. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, you are righteous and we love you. Father, we're thankful for this picture of what faithfulness looks like. What truly following you looks like according to Paul. Father, what, what could have been one of the most intimate times of his life concerning his brethren. And this is what he says. Father, help us to see it. Help us to have eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that are open. Father, we ask this in Jesus. Amen.